scripture reading this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I am reading from the Good News Bible. Then I heard a voice saying, Mortal man, stand up. I want to talk to you. While the voice was speaking, God's spirit entered me and raised me to my feet, and I heard the voice continue, Mortal man, I am sending you to the people of Israel. They have rebelled and turned against me and are still rebels, just as their ancestors were. They are stubborn and do not respect me, so I am sending you to tell them what I, the Sovereign Lord, am saying to them. Whether those rebels listen to you or not, they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, mortal man, must not be afraid of them or of anything they say. They will defy and despise you. It will be like living among scorpions. Still, don't be afraid of those rebels or of anything they say. You will tell them whatever I tell you to say, whether they listen or not. Remember what rebels they are. Mortal man, listen to what I tell you. Don't be rebellious like them. Open your mouth and eat what I am going to give you. <clears throat> I saw a hand reaching out to me, and it was holding a scroll. The hand unrolled the scroll, and I saw that there was writing on both sides. Cries of grief were written there, and wails and groans. Let us hear what the scripture is saying to us. We strive to quiet the conflict among all people by creating a compelling environment that fosters spirituality, community engagement, and social justice. That's the new mission statement that our administrative board wrote a little bit ago. I've got to confess, it's growing on me. I like it. I like it very much. I hope it grows on you, and you come to like it as well. And I thought while we're introducing ourselves to this compelling statement, we might do so against the backdrop of the prophets of ancient Israel. A few weeks ago, we talked about the call to Isaiah, and uh, last week, a few of us <laughs> looked at the call of the prophet Jeremiah, and this morning, I'd like us to look at the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is lying down when the call comes to him. He's lying down because he has been knocked down. In 586 BCE, the Babylonian armies conquered Jerusalem and Israel. And the way the Babylonian Empire exerted their dominance over the conquered was to force into exile 
all those members of the Concord Society that had any type of leadership skill so that the dominated community would be deprived of its leaders, therefore unable to rebel. Now I could tell you all about that time of being conquered, but it's not unlike all the other experiences we have known of a people being conquered. One person I'm very fond of reading is a man named Walter Wink. And he describes something called the domination system. His words are, in culture after culture, human destiny was driven in a direction that few would consciously choose. Societies found themselves locked in a struggle for dominance from which no one could escape. Defense against a powerful aggressor required a society to become more like the society that threatened it. No one person or group of people imposed this domination system on us. It came wholly uninvited. People simply stumbled into a struggle for power beyond their ability to avoid it or to stop it. And in most places, those who hold the power also use political institutions to enforce it. They use religious institutions to enforce it. They use everything they can. I recently saw a, a good illustration of this domination system. I was watching Netflix, and there was this British series entitled Banished. And in this series, a uh, small penal colony in Australia was formed in a part called South, New South Wales, and the British Empire sent to live in that colony those who had committed crimes against the state, probably crimes against the dominators, to live in captivity. And as the series begins, season one, episode, well, there's only one season, but episode one, this new guy gets off the ship into New South Wales, where he is to be a prisoner. And as he walks into this, Mac, this, this prison colony, we get a vision of what life is like there. There are guards with their flintlock rifles, crude huts in which people lived, 
cooking fires for the daily bread. And you also get to know that the resources are short. This prison colony is supplied by ships from England that arrive intermittently and in an undependable cycle. So food is scarce. And in the opening scene, this one man who's not much bigger than everybody else walks up to a woman and takes her food away. He's eaten his own, and now he eats hers. Happens in broad daylight. Everybody sees it. No one does anything. The guards with their flintlock rifles are silent. But this new guy, well, he doesn't quite know how things work in this microcosm of a domination society. So he says something, and he pushes back. There is a brawl. Later we learn that the one who was taking other people's food was the blacksmith. The only person in the penal colony who knew how to turn iron ore into iron. He was the only person who had the skill that would allow them to have the very tools for survival that life in this harsh wilderness required. And because he had that skill, no one stopped him. And the whole series unfolds around all the injustices that everyone experiences and how everyone in that penal colony is held captive by a domination system that no one is free. And we are not strangers to the world of domination. For we too live in a time when the wealthy people lord it over the poorer, when white people still exercise undue power over people of color, where men exercise power over women, and where straight people exercise power over folks in the LGBTQ community. We are no strangers to domination, and neither was Ezekiel. Now, the ancient rabbis in Israel taught that no one should read the book of Ezekiel until they were 30 years of age. Don't worry, I'll only be in chapters 1, 2, and 37, so you don't have to leave the room. Because the book of Ezekiel is dark. If you read it, double up on your Prozac. <laughs> For in those pages, the ancient prophet struggles with the grief and the mourning of being conquered, of searching to find God's purpose in the midst of of rubble, 
of being dominated. But in chapter 1, the very beginning of the chapter, if you read through it, it's, it's almost impossible to follow. But the ancient prophet describes a vision that he sees. It's a wheel. And on the wheel, there are four, there's one creature, but it has four faces, and it goes in strange directions back and forth, and, and I can never, ever figure it out. But fortunately, my seminary professor, Kathy Dar, told me this, that Ezekiel's wheel in chapter 1 is the vision of the holiness of God coming with the exiles, going to live with them where they are. And so Ezekiel, even though he has been knocked down by the domination system of his own day, stands up because that spirit of holiness has come. And Ezekiel is sent to prophesy. Now, if you understood history, you would think that Ezekiel would be prophesying against the Babylonians. After all, they're the villains of the story. They're the ones who have conquered Israel and created the problems. But Ezekiel's prophecy is directed toward Israel. I don't think I'm too far from being scripturally accurate when I say that Ezekiel is trying to call his people out of a domination society, to stop behaving like the empire that has conquered them. And that they were slow to hear it as are we all. But the 37th chapter of Ezekiel breathes a breath of hope. It's the valley of the dry bones. And God takes the prophet to that valley and asks, O oh, mortal one, what do you see? And he says, I see a valley of dry bones, and all around there are skeletons, dismembered. And so the spirit asks, O mortal, can these bones live? And the spirit says, prophesy to these bones. And Ezekiel does. And one by one, the, 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 the bones come together into skeletons. And then on top of the skeletons comes the flesh It's a metaphor for what is possible for us when we walk away from a domination system, when we stop using our power over other people for our own advantage and use our power to build something of blessedness among us and around us and beyond us. Can these bones live? Oh, yes, they can. So anyway, I got a phone call this week from uh, 
one of the local nursing home. One of the members of our church is uh, living there, and the folks in the nursing home said that she was a little discouraged, thought they could use a, a visit, so I said, of course, I'll come. So I made my way to this facility and went to this person's room. I sat next to her as she was lying in her bed. And she said, oh, I miss church. So we talked a little more. And she said, oh, I miss church. And she said that about four times. So finally I said, well, my sermon's ready. You want to hear it? She said, yes. So I preached that whole sermon I just preached to you, to, to, to her in the nursing home. And when I got all done, she was still awake. And her eyes were beaming. For there is hope. And while I spoke of the valley of the dry bones, I, I reached out and I grabbed her hand. And I, and I raised it up. Come on, reach out. Reach out. Grab someone else's hand. Raise it up. Come on, come on, do it, do it. These bones can live. Come on, you're not doing it. Can these bones live? She was enlivened. She was enlivened. Oh, church, let us become. Let us push back against the values of a world that wants to dominate and control and to be a place of life and acceptance and encouragement. We strive to quiet the conflict among all people by creating a compelling environment that fosters spirituality, community engagement, and social justice. Amen. Hi, I'm Peter Hay, the pastor at Wesley Church, and uh, I want to thank you for viewing this video clip of a recent service. There are things about Wesley Church that you simply cannot experience through such a video clip. We are a gathering of people very committed to an inclusive way of living out the Christian faith. And we strive to quiet the conflict among all people by creating a compelling environment that fosters spirituality, community engagement, and social justice. If this vision speaks to your heart as it speaks to ours, we hope you'll join us. We gather for worship three times over the course of a weekend at Wesley Church. At 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoons, we have a casual service where we pray together, we read scripture, and we share in the, in the message in an informal way. And then every Sunday morning at 8.30, we gather in the chapel for a service that includes Holy Communion in addition to the preaching and the prayers. And then at 10.30, we gather in our main sanctuary where we are enriched by our 
wonderful pipe organ and our choir and our band. These are very powerful experiences of Christian nurture and we would love to have you join us.